Interstate Batteries has been a proud supporter of the Sportsman's Nation since day one. They offer just about every battery under the sun, from car and truck batteries to batteries for your trail cameras and rangefinders. Select retail locations even offer cell phone repair and cracked screen repair. Find a local retail location at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Land and Legacy Podcast. We're your hosts, Adam Keith and Matt Dye. This is your number one resource for all things land. If you're interested in conservation, habitat management, hunting strategy, and rural real estate, this is the podcast for you. All right, guys. Um, Matt, how's it going over there in in the big metropolis? Uh, of... <laughs> it's going good. I actually have company, and my parents are in from Virginia, so it does feel like there's a little bit more activity around here besides just the rabbits, songbirds, and the occasional deer we see and foxes. So, have have you um, guys heard many coyotes after dark? I was talking with Emily and, and I've heard them one night out of a month and a half. So very, very few. And we're out at dusk almost every night, picking in the garden, looking or something like that. So, you know, it's not like we're not here to hear them. Um, so, so just very few in the area. Yeah. Right now, currently. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. So, I wonder it, what it'd be like in the, the fall when they're yeah. not, when they're not with young they're out roaming around more. Yeah, that'll be interesting to see what what happens. Recently, did we talk about the quail last week? I think we did mention the, the yeah. quail uh, you, hearing. Yeah, because yeah, we had heard from, from yeah. you guys on your place and then mentioned yeah. on ours. So yeah, just we're, still fascinating. We're another weekend. Uh, I guess the first full official week with cows. Um, How was the check in today? Good. Good. There's still not, you know, I think ultimately it's going to take me having the ability to be there multiple times a week to really get these things used to me. Right now they're still very cautious. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, yeah. I'd love to be living there and see them every single day. Right. Right now that's not in the plan or that's not in the, you know, short term uh, thing. I think right. 12 months from now, possibly. Sure. Um so yeah, they're they're doing great. Uh, we they made the first official move. I'd love to be on day moves, but right now we're on weekly moves. Um, yeah. And so Chad moved them uh, yesterday, I believe. And mm-hmm. uh, you know uh, everything's going good. They got plenty of grass, and you know that's the the field they're on hadn't had cows on it, and oh gosh, Oof. I don't even know three four months if long yeah. if not longer. Um, and so kind of the goal is to keep them on there, uh, for a substantial amount of, nah, I guess substantial is not the right word for a a nice period. So we can give some other pastures some, some rest. Sure. Um, and this first year we know that we may have to use, do a little bit more overgrazing than we'd like, but that's just the cards we were dealt. Um, dads, you know, we did some stuff and we got cows up on the farm confined to one pasture that i can't remember the last time we had them just in the front pasture so yeah and that's up there by the quail so i'm i'm hopefully i'm hopeful that we can kind of do some stuff with kyle and frank um Mm -hmm. who really are just gurus with the quail stuff to say yep this is good this this is better than what you had going on because i think we've gotten past the point i think the quail were doing better when there was just a horse in there so there was at least bare ground and some disturbance yeah. Um, and now it's like, well, there hadn't been any disturbance in there in three, four years, minus cows, cows in there just for a sh- very short period. And, and so. a little bit of, and a little bit of cutting of cedars up yep. until recently when it really, and one really burn. Yeah. Yes. So I'm curious, they're going to be in there for a couple of weeks. Um, mm-hmm. and then they're hammering the Japanese honeysuckle. And then when we pull them out, we're going to spray the Japanese honeysuckle. So hopefully knock it out. Um, and so, then, so, so there's a there's a there's a multi-step. Oh yeah. Basis species eradication, right? You have a, um, I wouldn't even say it's a mechanical, but I guess that's the best way. It's a mechanical reduction <laughs> with the cows, even yeah, consuming yeah. the grazing aspect, and then coming in with herbicide after to finish it off. Yeah, that's gonna be a good yeah. one-two punch. Uh we hope. And then, um, yeah. So that's all. It's kind of weird. 
to see the cows kind of maneuvering around like that and you know mm-hmm. head in the right direction um so yeah no it's well, it and, sure and that's is. a great that's a great honestly kind of lead in to today is is you can't you can't just always pick up right where you want to be and start implementing everything the oh. way you want it right oh. right out of the gate that's you the thing that probably annoys to. me the most you got to set the stage. Is like I, I, you just have to let it. You have to kind of takes time to make wine, and and it with does. with this, it's just like I, you know, life is stinking short, and I, you know, <laughs> kind of the reason this podcast came into being is a recent consult when we had that discussion. Life's short, <laughs> clock's ticking. <laughs> I don't want to be. I'm not thinking long term. From the standpoint of like, how am I going to get all this work done, blah, blah, blah. I'm trying to get stuff done so I see immediate impact. I see amazing results. And I, and I, and it happens in three years. Yeah. Or less. So, um, you know, that's the top. I don't know. Matt typically does the write ups in the title, and I had podcasts, and we work on kind of pretty much all of our business. We're, He's working on one side of it. I'm working on the other, and we just we've moved forward in four years that way. And and so usually the podcast titles are what he picks. But I kind of told him what I wanted this one to be called: Thirty Years to Nowhere. Um, and we'll explain what that means. But yeah, I spent thirty years and I got nowhere. I spent twenty years and I got nowhere. I spent five years. I've owned the farm for five years, and I don't feel like I've gotten anywhere. How many times do you hear that, Matt? Well, I mean, we're we're in a unique position to to always be the recipients of people reaching out in help, you know, looking for help, in need of help, um, be, because of that. So we hear a lot, but there's a lot of people who definitely, um, whether they want to admit it or not, are in that boat and have felt like they're in that boat, but just don't know where to take it from beyond. Um, where they're at because they're just whether it's limited information or too much information, it's just information overload drinking from a fire hose. Mm-hmm. You know, what do I do? Because I don't really have a baseline of where I'm at. So if I don't have a baseline of where I'm at. I can't take the right steps forward. Well, and it's, uh, that one of the, the 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 biggest part of that conversation that kind of stirred up this podcast for me was the conflicting information and yeah. how, yeah. you know, one person says this, another person says that, another person says that, and then at the end of the day, they all contradict each other, and you're, he's wrong, I'm right, he's he's wrong, I'm right kind of deal. And mm-hmm. you get that when you dive into a, a really an unscientific, unresearch-based land management ideology you get yeah. to into uh, really one of my major points of this is what's the angle or what's the sales pitch? Um, if you look at, and I'm saying 30 years to nowhere because I typically, in my opinion, say that land management, habitat management designed around game species, specifically hunting game species, um, is really about 30 years to 40 years old. Um, now, you know, Aldo Leopold, the father of land ma- or of game management, land management, kind of um, what everybody kind of coins him as as the man who started it all. He wasn't really in the same path or boat as what we're talking about specifically, because we're really talking about hunting industry, outdoor content designed to improve land, improve habitat. And I feel like, yeah, for the last 30 years, it's that's been kind of the heyday um, of that, if you would agree with that, Matt. Maybe I need to yeah, change it I, 60 years to nowhere. <laughs> but I think most I would, recreational land people, it's happened in the last 30 years. Yeah, roughly so. From, from the main focus of purchasing a property, <clears throat> there's been hunting <clears throat> forever. But main focus of, of buying properties, it seems like... Um, for the recreational aspect has been 50 to 30 years really till now. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think, um, we'll go over some of the most top, most talked about ones 
and kind of why that gets talked about. And then ultimately, at the end of this, it's just a, a refresher to say, guys, this is really not that hard. It's not that complicated. And it shouldn't take that long, and it shouldn't really ultimately cost a half a kid's college fund. <laughs> yeah, and not, <laughs> not at all. And, and, and truthfully, this... This comes off the heels of you being up north working with with um, on on two new properties, North Dakota and Minnesota, and then me that same time frame working with um, on two other properties, Iowa and Nebraska, where essentially, well, and actually, I'm, as, I'm, as I'm speaking, this is coming back to memory. It was in 2000, February of 2020, I visited with the people I went back and visited just this past week in Iowa and Nebraska, back-to-back days. And so... And I was up there, and I saw... I mean, one of these properties is Burr Oaks Bluff, and which you'll have to have Brenton on sometime soon to talk about the update as they're planning the next steps for that property. Um, But yeah, it wasn't that long ago. Well, it, it, yeah, and that's that's the whole point is the amount of work that those two landowners and their associates or family have done on the properties and drastically changed the appearance and the, the habitat on those in that short window by you know receiving a plan, getting started, amazing transformations, and we just shared one of the transformations on social media from Nebraska. I mean, it is, it's night and day difference from that 30 acres of timber to what it is now in a short amount of time frame. And, yeah. and, and we have other people who, who will receive a call and they're saying, man, yeah, I've owned this for 15 years and, and I'm, you know, I'm trying to, trying to manipulate it and trying to, you know, just make an impact and, and, there's just a, there's just quite frankly there's a right and a wrong way to do it, yeah. and and it doesn't have to be this long drawn out ginormous you know thirty year execution time frame deal. Sure, do you do you need a plan? You know that that carries you through. Yes, but you still shouldn't be, let's say, implementing new things on a property that far out unless it's just an absolute giant property you should be in in a maintenance mode by then and so and 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 you should have already reaped rewards yeah and and that's what that's what we're we're, that's what's the most frustrating thing to me is to see somebody who's owned a farm for a, a long period of time and has just really spun their wheels They've not really gotten anywhere. They haven't really changed the overall, let's just say, the population of the wild turkeys or seen a, a, a leap where, oh my goodness, we're having deer, some bucks on this place now that we couldn't have dreamed of them in the past. Like, yeah. they're, 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 we've had a couple Boone and Crockett bucks or a couple of deer that were over 200. or I don't know what the scenario is or, or where you're at and what a significant increase is, but... I know one thing's for sure. If you take, you know, almost anywhere where there's white-tailed deer and you say, let's just give them 1,000 acres, probably more like 3,000 acres, and say, let's just not shoot anything until it's mature, you're going to see a major leap in. uh, There's going to be a few deer that squeak through. You're like, whoa, that deer got old and he blew up. And you could do that with... Almost any 5,000 acres that's got a good amount of timber, mixed, whatever. If you just take three, even 2,000, and say, here's that, stop shooting them when they're young, you're going to see big deer. And that's pretty, I mean, that would, in my opinion, that would say that's one of the best things a person could do if they were trying to get bigger deer is just stop shooting them when they're small and try to get a big enough chunk that your neighbors don't shoot them when they're small. That's that's a pretty good one, but most guys aren't dealing with that. Um, and I just look at you know some of our clients who uh, the excuse I don't have time and I don't have the means. Well, 
don't have the means, that's not what we're talking about. And that, that's kind of the bread and butter right in the wheelhouse of our consulting business is we can help guys who may not have a huge budget. Because um, if you're willing to work for it, we can really uh, we can really get you off to the races. And Matt, I'll share with you, I had an email come through this evening from a guy, um, one of our clients I visited with March, I believe, um, mm-hmm. in Illinois, John. And uh, yeah, it was March, I believe. Yeah, um, it wasn't that long ago. Um, and he's already got all his betting thickets cut in, his temporary oh, forest openings. And he's a one-man yep. band. I mean, I think he might have some help. But I, on this home farm, he had some logging done. He, I don't know how many bedding thickets, probably close to 10 to a dozen. He cut yep. them all in. And, uh, and I mean, just that alone, he's going to see tremendous changes this fall because of those cuts. Um, yeah, and, I mean, he works a full-time job. And uh, married, and like he he got them all done. Yeah. I wonder how much golf he played this spring, um, <laughs> or how much t- how much time he went fishing. Uh, I've said it once, I'll say it again. But you can't fish your way to better habitat, and you sure can't sink more putts and improve habitat. No, yeah. No, and so he asked me, you know, got that done, got that done. Now he's going to be working on trying to get a dozer because I did advise one of his big ridges, and because mm-hmm. of of the size of the property, I felt like he was good to have a new food plot put in um, yep. to kind of help space out some of the movement where they're not all going to the east side to go to the food plots. And sure. uh, so, yeah, you know, he's moving right ahead. And I, I just look at that and I'm like, this guy at the pace he's going and he's going to the bedding thickets. He's got the he's got the food plot coming in, um, edge feathering's coming, and then general TSI. And, you know, because of the way we lay it out and look at the site index, he's going to do some TSI in the next few years that's going to have the best response. And, honestly, he's three years in, heavy lifting's over, and now he's in maintenance mode. Yep. And, I mean, I've I, I got to the point where I get frustrated and I get upset for guys who have owned a farm for a long period of time and have just done nothing but spend money and spin wheels. I I don't think that there's a product or a series of products that is ever going to hit the market or ever become available to consumers that is ever going to improve the quality of a farm or the increase its ability to hold wildlife achieve your goals, whatever the case may be. It's not going to come to the market. You're not going to be able to buy it. That's going to give you more results than picking up a chainsaw and a drip torch and knowing how. Or a sprayer. Or, yeah, or a sprayer and the appropriate herbicides and knowing how and when to apply them to get a specific response. Yeah. it's Honestly, I'm, I'm just looking... Um, fresh off of a, a nice chat I had on social media with some guys about some of our one guys are like <laughs> it cracks me up you'll you'll get a kick out of it. One guy asked it if we could condense our podcast down and remove some of the banter or some of the fluff um, and just give them cold hard how tos facts and and wrap it up. Another guy's like I enjoy the banter and then other guys jumped in and said that as well. They're like that's what helps me understand it. Um, mm-hmm. and I feel like, you know, you played golf, but I feel like there's a guy, like, if you look at a golfer, uh, you know, who's at the top of their game I, and I'm not a golfer, but I do follow it enough a, a, a Dustin Johnson, um, yep. or, uh, you know, even a Tiger Woods back in the day, there wasn't really products that made them great. Now, sure. They would use Nike golf clubs or balls or, Callaway or all the other Titleist. But we all know that if Tiger worked with Nike or Callaway or Titleist, it didn't matter. It was him who made himself great and his work ethic and his mindset. That's how good he was. And I look at the hunting industry in the last 30 years, and to be kind of frank, Matt, 
I'm glad my name's not attached to 30 years of land management in in with the industry movement because I'm like, we didn't get anywhere. In no. fact, we declined. We got worse. We, we, we've recessed into going forward in natural resource management. If we're just, and I, and I, I want to be clear here, if we're just looking at the hunting industry side of things, if, if we're talking about overall understanding of natural resources, the, the amount of information that is out there and accessible, you can find it and it's wonderful. There's some amazing researchers. There are some amazing uh, projects and um, universities that are doing an excellent job and nonprofits putting out information, but that's separate from a lot of the content you may get elsewhere within the hunting industry those i want i want everyone to know that we're talking about two separate things there totally yeah but we've regressed in in a hunting industry side of things it, it has been more of what can i obviously buy yep. to distract me from actually the root problems and, and a, you brought up a, a great point of you know there for someone who doesn't follow sports or doesn't care about sports more of a business person. Everyone has met a really good salesman, someone who just knows how to communicate, knows how to develop a relationship with someone. They could be selling an ice cream sandwich or a pencil or a car or a catch up to a lady in white gloves. Yeah. Catch up popsicle to a lady in white gloves. There you go. Yeah. They would be able to do it efficiently there's just people who have skills and doesn't matter what they have in their hands they're going to be successful and and our job maybe self-proclaimed is we want to tell you everyone listening what to work with how to work with it where it should be worked where it shouldn't be worked and used and what to avoid yeah, because ultimately time is limited. You want the biggest impact. We want the biggest impact for you because we care about the land, because we care about wild game and we care about just your general success that you need to you need to know what to use, how to use it, when to use it. That that knowledge is is the meter of of your ability to achieve. But really your eagerness is also a factor that really determines how fast yeah. you're going to go. And to me, when I look at, I said it earlier, but what's the angle? And I think about this, like even politicians, since we're coming off an election year, but usually oh boy, here we you go. can look at like, you know, a person is, a person's outward message can easily be, depicted upon who's funding that message or that platform. And so like in the in the television world, you know, even the local news, you can see advertisements that that's who's funding it, so they get the, they get their say. And so when you go down the path of of outdoor television, um you can see who's funding it because of the message or the product that they're using. And so the 30 years we've spent, who's had the most influence in funding the content? And so you have to look at the, the, the companies who are funding or flying across the banner or whatever it may be and ultimately see how that, how that trickles down and threads through the message. Yeah. And it's gotten pretty blatant in that 30-year window from... Early on, when land management content wasn't really uh, the thing, it was more outdoor content, hunting content, and then it's kind of changed now to more of the lifestyle deal, where it's all of the things that that person does. And so, like, out of the gate, um, one of the big ones that is the most popular, that gets talked about the most, uh, it's, in my opinion, probably gets talked about the most, in 30 years of, of land management is food plots. 
And I don't know how many times I have to dog on food plots, and I'm not really even dogging because we plant a lot of food plots. We love planting food plots. And to make it even more frank, we work. We're, I don't guess we can say sponsored, if you will, but they're a partner of ours in Stratton Seed, a food plot company. But we can say this because that's one of the values that we bring to those is is honesty. And that's where you see food plots have gotten, there's almost always, if somebody's really talking a lot about food plots, there's a food plot partner right there funding their content. And man, how many times do we have to talk about how food plots don't make a ver- make up a very large portion of your farm? So it shouldn't make up a huge or over half of your workload in a year. It just shouldn't. Well, I, I, ultimately, I, I know we're getting into some of the the points that we're trying to make here, but this really comes off the heels of a of a I, I personally think a powerful co- uh, podcast we did last week talking about leaving the legacy with a property. Will Russell out of Pennsylvania. If if you want to know what it looks like, if you want to know what we're talking about in in having a profound impact on the natural resources habitat on a given property, please listen to that podcast. We had a great response from people and and then we go like to the next week of consulting and there are people who are, you know, confused on what to do and and don't know where to start but but know that they want to be efficient they don't want to look back on 30 years this is this is the stuff that we cannot have people getting um let's say dragging their feet with as they're learning the ropes as they're beginning to become a land manager it's just it's it's like it's almost draining to the whole system because if you get started on the wrong foot and all you focus is on food plots, you're not going to have the greatest success. And you're not going to see this transformation like we're talking about with Will Russell. Like everyone wants that kind of powerful impact, but wasn't achieved because of the food plots were put in. Yeah. The, the time hard. management is backwards. Yeah. The other what, big what thing. I, um, moving from food plots, the other big one that you see is is feeders. It seems like feed, um, and I can say that there's two of them here. Um, feeders, so what kind of, should you have roasted peanuts? Should you have roasted corn, cracked corn, whatever? Feeders. And and they've kind of trickled down because because of CWD, certain states have outlawed it now. But it was kind of, uh, you know, in the in the 90s and 2000s, a lot more states were allowing uh, feeders and also protein feeders. So you had this, you need to put out corn and X whatever, and then you also need to have this protein mixed in. And it was always, hey, if you guys want bigger bucks, and it really was cheesy back in the day. If you want bigger bucks, you need to be using this protein during the year for this amount of this amount of weeks and you need to shift over to this feed through the through the uh through the winter and, and then you need to have this out so your your bucks can come out of of winter so much more productive and be b- growing bigger antlers and you like my little accent there matt for the 2002 that was, advertising that was cute. yeah that was cute. um and so that was one that you know Let's just look at it from a from a food plot standpoint before I get too far away. Food plots make up less than 10% of the property most of the time. And even, I mean, the, the percentage of food plots that look amazing 12 months out of the year and all the travels Matt and I do, uh, 95% of them don't look good all year long. Um, in fact, most of the time we see, on average, mediocre food plots at best. Would you agree with that? Well, yeah, fair. and and even social media posts like it's it's sad, but when I see one that looks good, it's like whoa, look at that! That guy did good. Most of the time, it's like yeah, I've got a failure. Yeah, I've got this weed. What is it? How do I kill it? 
eh, should I mow these weeds or should I spray? What should I do? Should I? And and so the food plots, even if they were maximum production, it's still a very small percentage of your property. So there's no way that you should be able to look at that and say, because I have 3% in clover, 5% in protein, and 2% in carbs for late winter, I'm going to have giant deer. No. There's so many variables that come into play that the chances of that being maximum production where it actually makes a huge impact that can make noticeable difference in your deer herd. Yeah, I I don't put a lot of, I wouldn't put a lot of stock in that. So feeders, I mean, and there's specifically protein feed, feed, and Matt, you can back me up on this or disagree with me altogether, but I'll stand by it, (laughs) is... The research that's proven that feeders work in increasing antler size, the only place I've found it to be like, okay, yeah, you can see that, is in South Texas or parts of Texas where native vegetation was limited due to the environment, and it was year-round feeding, and that is their main source of food. So obviously it will make the deer bigger in body and antlers. But I have not seen research that's proven that feed, protein, or, you know, your general corn has made deer bigger because they've had that out. And if if it had to, or if there was even the slightest chance that it was true, it would have to be a very substantial financial investment to make that happen. And I don't think there's many guys out there that are willing to do that. It's just not, you, you can't replicate that in an area that gets 20 inches of rain or upwards of 55 inches of rain. You, the ground creation, plants, everything is going to produce in the right situation way more food available than your poundage of feed that you're, that you're feeding um, across the board. And be diverse, have more minerals, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. All, all that jazz that, that, that we know. So um, protein feeders not. and feeders, just a very, it, first off, the biggest complaint I have is it costs a lot of money. Um, and then another big complaint I have is it makes some nasty messes on the property. Yes. Some of the grossest places I've seen on properties almost always around feeders. Mud hole, nastiness, ugh, just gross to me. Um, and somehow seems natural. No. Um, next up, minerals. I, this one makes me laugh for the simple fact of it gets pushed so hard, and I'm not sure there's anything that has led to ha- having more advertisement saying you want more non-typical bucks, you want more mass on the antlers, you want bigger antlers, you want bigger bodies than minerals. Well, we we know that through the through through good solid research, they're attracted to these minerals because of the salt content. And so, what what it does is it opens up the door with minerals and a well placed trail camera. You can attract deer during the summer time frames to these areas. Capture some amazing photos on a regular basis. So, so so then it gives this false sense of I'm doing something. They need this. They oh, have totally. to have it. Inches of antler are growing, developing from June all the way through August. That's when that deer's coming here. So look how much it's building. Like, like the case could be made by someone who, who doesn't know that. Wow. That's, they're coming there so often, like yeah, they they have to have all of that. That's just simply not the case. Totally, like, that, that, it, it just it it makes for a fantastic story for marketing um, situations to, <laughs> to make a big impact on 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 a, on a hunter. But l- luckily, I'll say this: people can approach minerals differently across the board, kind of a spectrum. But luckily, you could place one site out there, put a camera on it, and you're done. It's not like you have to go and refresh a lot. So it's not compared to a, a, Feeder. a failing food plot system or feeding every other weekend. It's not as time-consuming. However, 
it still has been one of those situations where it, it can occupy your mind. It can make you run and check that camera way more than you need to be doing when you're on your property. Mm-hmm. It's just, it, to me, it's like the domino effect. The, it just kind of comes back to, well, I've got my minerals. I'm doing all this and that. Yeah. Well, that's all the other activities that kind of go along with it. Well, I think um, if you take all four of those, because I think those are the four most popular, and really it's three. It's food plots, feeders, and minerals. That's been the one that's for 30 years, that's been kind of like, you want bigger deer? You need to be plant food plots. And it's kind of the one you see a lot in real estate advertisements or discussion in forums and things. It's like, oh, yeah, he's doing everything right. He's got food plots and minerals and feeders. Like, it gets brought up so much of like, oh, yeah, that guy kills big deer. He's got food plots, minerals. He does feeders. You know, he do, he's doing it all right. And yeah. you take those, those, those three, and I think the big thing that nobody ever really talks about is – in my opinion, when people are now starting to, as a deer hunter, there's that progression of, okay, instead of just hunting the land the way it is, now I'm going to do a food plot. And then I'm going to go throw out some feeders. And then I'm going to put out some mineral. At the same time they're starting to progress down that line, they also start to understand that shooting young deer, or there's not as much pride in shooting young deer. So they start passing those deer. And at the same time that they're passing those deer, of course, bigger deer, number one, get them older. So as long as they're passing them, they can start seeing, oh, I'm killing bigger deer now. It must be because of the feeders, must be because of the minerals, must be because of food mm-hmm. plots. And simply, they just stop shooting them when they were young. Right. Correct. And that, so that's, that's I, a very common occurrence. And, and you brought up a unique point that I think can be expounded on when it comes to you know, the real estate side of things. When we're all looking at properties, you know, online, scrolling through pictures, yes, what we what we typically see is these added, let's, I'm just going to call it infrastructure, to the property, food plots, feeders, mineral sites, this and that. They're all documented, right? But if, let's just say we're, we're all going to go see this nice 250-acre place, it's, it's above... It's above, let's just say, market value. Your your typical 250 acres, wherever you're at. So it's just sitting above that value. If if I'm in the market for a property, I'm going to absolutely and I, I and let's just say I like this one. I'm going to absolutely pick it apart because truthfully, I don't really want to pay above what I think it's worth. Right? Yeah. So. I'm going to be extremely conscious of, okay, what resources are on this property? Does it really bring value to it? So the reason I'm saying this is if, if you find yourself in the situation where if you were on a real estate property or deal, one came across, do you really think that that type of in- infrastructure brings that much value to a property versus going to a property, same acreage, same price, but you can visually see a change in habitat difference. Like where you can go in and say, wow, this property's thick. Wow, this property's got got great mass producing trees. This property's got this and that. I want everyone to think of like the situation, put themselves in the situation where they're going to spend cold, hard cash money. What really are you going to be evaluating as as important to that property? It's not going to be the fact that there's a 50 gallon tripod feeder up in the corner. Who cares? We, we can go buy that and add that. That doesn't matter. We can go, we can go dig a hole and put a, a, you know, mineral, on the ground, we can create that. That that's not hard to do. What is hard to replicate is the quality habitat that is worth paying more for because it's in place and it has it's a home, <laughs> it's food for wildlife. And I think that anybody in their right mind when they're in that situation looking at, you know, property A and property B, where let's just call it property A is the the hunting industry model versus property B, the land and legacy habitat management 
model, when it comes to it, kind of put your money where your mouth is, you're going to be paying and feel more comfortable paying for property B than you do for property A because you really know property A is kind of like this superficial, eh, doesn't really have that, doesn't really bring that much value to land. Yeah, and but by golly, they'll, they'll think it does. Yeah, but but when you get in that situation, you again really have to put money to it. It's presented in this manner. Well, that's what that, I'm saying. Is right, right. It, it, it's, it's trying to be sold in this manner of wow, look at all this nice stuff, but doesn't really make a difference. No, it, it just doesn't make a difference. And and to, and to uh, foolishly pay over the market value for that, uh, I guess it's just foolish. But you yep. know you're going to get way more contenders at a, at a at a higher price because something of value is in place and already there. Well, that's the, what we're trying to accomplish everywhere we go. That's what we're trying to help our clients see and do. Is like, you know, if you look at food plots, feeders, minerals, and I've got some others that are more recent to come up. But if you take all those and you say, okay. I've sold this property. Let's just say it was pitched to us and something happens and I didn't continue planting that food plot. I didn't continue that feeder. I didn't continue that mineral site. What are we going to see five years from now? Well, that you'll probably see a difference in plant communities, but you clearly won't see a food plot. It'll be overtaken with invasives or weeds, uh, invasives, and, and or it may just be going back to native state. And then the feeders, you'll just see a big old probably get pushed over or knocked over just weeds growing up all around it um and obviously it won't be benefiting the wildlife except for a squirrel or a chipmunk that may be burrowed up in it um same thing with the feeders and then the minerals you probably still see a hole um because the deer will continue using that salt but it's not like something that's like extremely beneficial in fact if you're going to a person who's not a hunter it's probably a huge eyesore um right and so you're not getting anything lasting. You're just you're just twiddling your thumbs. And and I think that's the big thing for our us is like, man, I hate the idea of a client who's hired us and then five years from now he's like, Yeah, I'm not really I never really noticed a difference. It's like A, you didn't do the plan, had to. There's no way. Right. And then B is uh let's let's try to clean up our eyes and see if that's really the case what happened here and i i mean i if it's not working for a client and i hate to say it but something was missed on the on the on the management plan on the impl- implementation side of it um and and so you know you go through those and it's just it's just not long lasting um but you know let's get into some more of the recent ones the the ones mm-hmm. that in the last few years have kind of taken off in like you need to have this now. Like, you've got food plots, check. You've got minerals out. If it's legal, check. Uh, if you've got feeders out, okay, you're doing all the things right. But what else can we do? And the one that really is just like, Gah. I love that we're, we're we're headed down this path. But, man, we're missing it. Like, it's just, duh. And it's just these these deer bedding grass blends where it's like, you need this, yeah. you need this monoculture grass. You need to have... You know, one of the properties you work that got probably the the previous landowner or previous previous, they jumped on the bandwagon and planted just straight cave and rock switchgrass. And, you know, it looks beautiful, but it's so thick that the deer walk around it. The only places that the deer actually use is where it's thinned or it wasn't thick even when they planted it. And just the straight grass planting, as in bedding, is like... You know, you were you were headed down the right path, but we missed the exit, and we went two states further south when we should have been taking the exit and going to the northwest a couple of states. We shot for Yellowstone, and we ended up at the Grand Canyon. <laughs> That's a good way it's off air. <laughs> I mean, we had mountains, but we got a hole. Now we got the opposite. Well... Yeah, I, I I like the initiative of planting something that is that is native, native. But I wish I wish 
And I think this is what, honestly, it all ultimately boils down to. I wish working with creation was a little bit more simple because there are some things that, let's say there's some variables that I think keep people from just going full bore. But, but we can't remove those variables and some of the complexities and go straight to a monoculture that's native. Well, it's native, right? And have this excitement of, oh, I'm doing good. When, when we can tweak it more and offer natives in the form of grasses, forbs, brambles, and stump sprouts or sprouts or shrubs. Like, yeah. we can't just boil it down to a very finite, boom, monoculture, one species of grass, and just think that it's the same value across the board when it's just, it's, it's, it's not, we're getting close. We're getting close, but we've missed the boat. And in a simple tweak of what it is you're planting, do everything the same, the same way, plant it the same way, take care of it the same way, but just include some diversity into that blend. And man, you're there. You've yeah. done a great job. I'm on board. Yeah. But we just missed the boat. Totally. I, again, uh, it's just, like, it's, you, it's just, just like you said. Mother Nature and make it a silver bullet. No. Yeah. <laughs> no, I can't do it. Yeah. I you, you said it perfectly. Is it it's it's great intentions and it's like a ten step process and we got to step one. We got rid of the cool season grass that was there. We got rid of whatever was there. And we're headed down the native path, but we stopped on one species that's grass. And it's like with the idea that it's going to be bedding when we know based on our experience that the grass is great, but grass combined with forbs, combined with scattered cedars, scattered shrubs, that's way better. Yes. And so we just, we just, uh, you know, we we had good intentions to do a, a gainer, but we did a belly flop. Um, or a half gainer, well, and we just didn't quite get all the way around, and we got a backbuster. Um, and and I, so I, I, it, this is a whole other podcast. But essentially, I think we say that on every podcast. By the way, prob- probably, probably. <laughs> but if you look at, let's just say, diets, nutrition, and and just weight loss, right? The fads. Oh, if you do this, if you buy this machine, if you go down this, if you only eat this type of thing, you know, dot, 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 carry it on, right? Yeah. Everyone psychologically knows that if you eat less than what you burn from exercising, you will lose weight. Yeah. That equation is really pretty simple. But there's still an industry built around the idea of, of weight loss. Well, we kind of have the same thing within the hunting industry, really working with the creation and trees, plants to support wildlife. It's, it's not that complicated. Again, there are some complexities, but it's not a complicated thing to wrap our mind around. We just have to avoid the quick fixes and take the time and energy that we spend there and just educate ourselves. And I promise you, figuratively, the weight will fall off. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you will make an impact. You yeah. will have this just shockingly different property to manage and, and be proud of. Yep. Next up, hinge cuts. Those have come on strong. And, you know, from the standpoint of a guy in the north, I understand. Every time I go north, I'm like, I understand why hinge cutting is so popular up here. Woody Browse is is gone. There's there's hardly any of it. And that's their biggest stress period. The biggest stress period in the north is when Woody Browse is the, is the most sought after. So you cut a junky tree down and he gets hammered 
And then, oh, by the way, cover's very limited because it's all eaten up, and now there's deer bedding in there. And you can totally see why guys are like, you got a hinge cut. And and I think it's it's very similar to the grass plantings. It's a good yep. start, but we just don't quite maximize. Or we're, we're a long ways from maximum production with it, um, especially when you see these smaller scale hinge cut pockets where it's like you went in, you did a tenth of an acre, and you hinge cut every single tree. So the deer can't even use the interior of it. They're using the fringes. And, you know, I love hinge cutting. My goodness, I think it's recommended in 90% of the of the plans I write, but not a specific area of nothing but hinge cuts. Never, ever have I ever written a plan like that. Will I Correct. ever? Correct. Correct. It is, it is, again, very similar to the grass planting. We just stopped short. And we just we just tried to simplify everything. We just tried to simple. Essentially, we we tried to simplify taking wooded acres and making quality bedding. We tried to just say well, there's one thing that you can do. Again, yeah. that silver bullet mindset, and uh, it's it's just it's just more complicated than that. It's just it's just you got to be more diverse. You got to think you got to think bigger. Your your box of of accepting ideas just has to be built around more than than one simple practice. Or, or honestly, it's not even the practice. It's just because the practice is cutting trees. Yeah. It's 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 even just just a way a tree is is cut. Like cu- like that doesn't make sense. Just, I can just cut a tree in a in a in one way and make all this impact. Yeah. No, no, that that seems fishy. Yeah, and, <laughs> that and seems too simple. It's just like so. You take grass plantings and hinge cuts, and that's really designed for bedding. And a guy, if all they did was, you know, they they planted a field of just straight grass. Let's just say they did switch grass, and then they walked in their woods, and all they did was a few little tenth acre hinge cut areas. And you ask them five years from now, say. How was that? You know, did you see a change? Yeah, kind of. You know, I I had better I had bigger hopes than than what I got, and so they're kind of like almost turned off of grass plantings. Or like it was kind of expensive and didn't get the results I was looking for. Mm-hmm. How'd the hinge cuts go? Well, it kind of grew up in a weedy or in a bramble. There's nothing but multiflora rows in there, and you know, there's deer around it, but not not a ton. Well. You made two big errors. You, like we mentioned on the grass plantings, you forgot diversity from woody structure and shrubs and everything to as well as forbs. Um, and then on the hinge cuts, you forgot to make them probably bigger and mix in some other cuts to where there's now a huge amount of sunlight that's coming in. So you, it's not just anything but multiflora rows. Um, and you probably didn't put them in the right spots. And so therefore you didn't see the results you were looking for. You tried to force the deer to bed in somewhere that they didn't already want to bed. And because of your terrain, they chose the terrain feature over the plant community feature. And, you know, you see that a lot with, with a practice that was not implemented completely correct. And so then you got a guy who's going, yeah. And he stops at one cut or two cuts rather than doing the whole farm with a dozen cuts and seeing a major change. And here's here's the simple other just logical way to think through this. If there was a silver bullet, why do more silver bullets keep coming along? <sighs> right? I mean, come on. If if it was supposed to solve all these problems and grow big deer, we could have just put mineral out. And yep. it would have done it. That's yeah. what's being stated. That's what the thought process is. And if it's just that simple, I would just do that. But yeah. it's not. It's it's just not. It's not just as simple as well. You got to just go in there and hinge cut. No, it's 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 more than that. There's there's yep. more to all these types of practices. It's <laughs> not or. You know, it's a technique that you're using that, you know, five years ago it was the perfect thing. And now, 
oh, it's not even that anymore. We're headed down something else. And it's the best way to do things. It's, it's what, what, what we've prescribed doesn't become obsolete in three or four years. No. In fact, because God I'm, created it like this millions and millions of years ago. Spoilers. We're not going to come back in five years with brand new set of tools and practices. They're going to be the same. <laughs> Hopefully we can deliver that information in a little different way or, or have more people who have done them um, in, in different fashions. But yep. we want to share those success stories. We don't want to always just share, hey, this is the route we've got to go. Yeah, you know, we, we want more and more individuals coming on the podcast to talk about, hey, this is what I did and, yep. and I applied this and it, it literally worked just like you said so um which which reminds me i've got uh, a gentleman who's going to come on here at, at some point in the next let's just call it summer time frame to talk about a 30 acre property transformation the one i mentioned earlier yeah. um it, it, the the story that he walked through from a literally he called me crazy the day of the consultation outlining all the work and now i sit back and i say no you're crazy because you did it and you listened yeah. <laughs> and 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 now you've created something that he's bringing people to and educating them on he shared a hunt last year um a, a youth hunter she took her first deer it was the biggest deer they've ever killed in the property <laughs> on 30 acres yeah. and and so it's like now you're the crazy one who everyone's looking at in the neighborhood and saying that. Did you see what he did? It probably just drastically changed. And those are the stories we want to share with you guys because they're happening out there. The one last week, Will Russell. Oh yeah, incredible change, amazing story, just amazing story. And 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 yeah. we're not even scratching the surface of people that we can have on here to to share these things because they're not and, and i guess i'll say this too remember land and legacy is five and six years old so we have these stories and these drastic changes from people that we've been visiting with in the last five years this is not a 30 year old company and and 30 growing seasons on a property to see these changes this could be two and three years old that we're sharing with you guys and they're having this type of success. We're not going a 30 year road to find ourselves scratching our heads and saying, what the heck, man, where's that change that's kicking in this year, right? Yeah. No, I'm uh, making that difference. So, I'm the catalyst for the change. So many times too, it's like every year and we're kind of in that period of time right now where, Guys are waiting on the trail cameras to, they've got the trail cameras out and they're like waiting to see, you know, I'm hoping for a wet spring because I know that wet springs result in bigger antlers. And it's just like these, where you're just like the roll the dice, just, just roll the dice and, and hope that this year's the year that the deer just blow up and they're big. And you're like, huh, that, I, I thought we had a wet spring. Like what? It's like facepalm moment where it's just like ay 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 like this is not this is not how I want to live my life and uh, uh and this is certainly not how I want to manage my farm where I'm just like I'm not very proactive I feel like I am my wife tells me I am cuz I'm gone all the time but I'm just not getting the results that I'm looking for like and then that there comes the you know, this is the extreme 30 years to nowhere. Like, it could be five years to nowhere. It could be 10 years from nowhere. It And and, and it might be um, five more years to nowhere. And it's not an advertisement for our consultant services, but let's just be frank and say it really is because we're here to help you guys. That's why we give this podcast, two of them, each week to tell you how to do it. I mean, there's no really shocker to any of our clients that we have like this whole nother bag of tricks that once you hire us you get those like we're pretty 
you know, the way we use things, the way we promote them, and then at the same time, the way we set them out on a property, that's what makes it special. That's what makes it happen, and they have to implement it. And and, and, I, and I promise you, there's no bag of tricks that you guys don't hear about on this podcast. No. We just, we just take this bag. I'm not going to call it tricks because it's not. We just take this this information and apply it to your property specifically. Yeah. How would we do it? Why would we this way? And when would we do it? We're, we tell you that all the time on the podcast, but, but when we go to a consultation, it's specifically on your place. Yeah. It would be done just like this. Why'd you TSI that slope when you should have been focused over here based on plant response? Like things like that, where it's like, we're trying to help you get the f- quickest change um, that you can see physically with your own eyes and then also where the wildlife react at the same time. Mm-hmm. And so we recommend in the f- usually a five-year plan, could be even a three-year plan, of saying this is the heavy lifting the first two years. And then after that, everything kind of slows down and we get more into a health standpoint where it's not going to be as blatantly obvious of the immediate impact but it still has a huge impact it's just a lot more subtle Mm -hmm. and so that's the big thing it's just just trying to understand that we we've spent a lot of years guys it's 2021 and you know for 30 years there's been information of how to grow bigger deer and i think if you followed the 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 template that was laid out you're going to realize you bought a whole lot of stuff and you really got nowhere. Um, and that's just the, and I'm, I'm that guy. That's probably why I'm so outspoken on it is because I was that guy in 1995 or six, really starting to go, okay, food plots, let's do food plots. Let's do this. Let's buy trail cameras. We got to do mineral and realize that until I started doing stuff that they weren't telling me to do, that's when I got the change. That's when I started seeing difference. And I'm trying to help you guys not fall into the same trap. That's right. We just lost 10 potential partners in that little spill. But um, <laughs> Oh, well. <laughs> I told a guy, we'll I said, still chainsaws not writing sponsorships for Habitat Managers right now. But if they were, I'd be the first in line because I could sell a chainsaw. <laughs> yeah. Heck yeah. So, that gum right. And, uh, you know, I've got two other things on here that we don't even need to cover much, but fruit trees and screening. It seems yeah. like now everybody wants to talk about what to use for screening, and it has nothing to do with habitat. It's all about deer hunting tactics. And guys are spending bukus to make great screening, and they're also spending bukus of time trying to make that screening or have healthy fruit trees. In reality, most guys plant them. They get excited. By year three, their focus is off of them, and they become an eyesore because the tube needs to be removed and the cage is falling down or the tree's leaning over or it's dead or it's filled with wasp nests. The list is endless, and and really, yeah. it's just ay ay ay. Let's let's focus on time management, property management, financial management, and ultimately, life's short. Guys, we're getting older. I don't know about you, but every time I run a chainsaw, I'm like, it used to be easier than this, and yeah. I don't want to be an old man running a chainsaw. I don't want to be a guy running a chainsaw twenty years from now going. Well, I got to figure out where to put the deer bedding. No, I'm doing that in the next two years. I know where the deer are going to bed the next 20 years on the property. And, and, I, and I'm going to work hard when I'm young. I'm going to remember the aches and the pains and that hard work and that response from the plants. And then I'm going to keep it that way. I'm not going to let it get out of hand. Yeah. I'm going to work. I'm going to work. I'm not going to say hard, but I'm going to work to maintain it. That's right. I'm not going to just think that I'm done when I finish the bedding thicket That's or right. when I finish the TSI. Yeah. Not done when I'm just did a dormant season discing. I got to come back and burn that area. I might have to come back and I have to treat some invasives. But guess what? It wasn't as hard as it was the first time I was on that property or on that unit. That's it right. gets easier. Yeah. Once I get the habitat management, then I can get into herd management. I'll just start. Thinning the herd, making sure they don't go crazy and get too too thick. I enjoy that. Yeah, it's a whole lot easier. Um, oh. You know, 
consulting season has been full bore crazy for us. Um, but one thing that you wanted to mention, Matt, before we started recording was, guys, we are booking up in 2022 spring. So if you're interested in a consult, let's get you on the books quickly. Okay. So, And there are some openings in 2021 for you guys, but, you know, just a reminder that this podcast is designed to help you guys understand habitat management, what we recommend, but ultimately our boots on your ground is the best thing that we can do to help you. And so uh, shoot us an email at info at landandlegacy.tv. And we also appreciate you guys joining us once again. Be sure to catch us on the other podcast this week. We're going to be doing some uh, updates on everything. And uh, anyway, we'll catch you next week. Yeah. See you guys.